Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Whitburn Pentecostal Church today. Warm welcome if you're visiting with us. Great to have you. Um, just a, a couple of visitors in today, so welcome. Welcome to those who are joining online. Of course, we can't see you, but you're very welcome. And uh, we hope that you are able to stay with us all through to the end of the service. We're here to worship God today. Do you know, I was thinking about today, just as I was preparing my heart to come to church, and I just was contemplating how we're just a bunch of ordinary people coming to church today, but we come to worship an extraordinary God. Do you believe that? He is an extraordinary God, and we've come to worship Him through uh, just being here, um, by being online, if you're joining us online, we've come to worship God through song, through reading God's Word, listening to God's Word, all these things. We've come to worship Him today. And maybe you have something that you can say to somebody else today, a prayer that you can pray over somebody else today that will bring glory to God as well. We've come together, and really the theme of uh, what I want to talk about today is about us coming together as church and just the importance of us being church together. But we're going to worship God first. We're going to seek Him. Um, we're going to praise Him. We're going to pray that God inhabits the praises of His people. And we're going to enjoy being in His presence today. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You are here, that You are in the middle of this gathering. Father, whether we're in person or online, Father, You're with us. Your Word promises that where uh, we praise You, that You will inhabit the praises of Your people. And Father, we do pray that You would come and inhabit the praises of Your people today. Lord, we pray that our song would rise to you this morning. Father, that it would bring glory to you. And Father, that our, even our very act of gathering today would be a statement to the spiritual world that, Father, you are who you say you are, that you birthed the church, you designed the church, you sustain the church, and you will build the church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So, Father, we pray that you'd be glorified in this place today, that you would move by your Spirit today. Holy Spirit, come and move amongst us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's praise the Lord. Would you like to stand?
we just thank you for your presence in our lives. Father, we thank you that you are here. And Father, that you want to move in our hearts, move in our lives. And Father, we just pray that you would come. Father, we have come with different needs today. Father, just different things going on in our lives, in our families, things that have been occupying our time and our energy. Maybe, maybe Father, things that we've been worrying about. But Father, we pray that you come and that you would just move upon us. Father, that you breathe your words into every situation, every, every heart. Father, whether here in person today or, or gathered online, Father, we just pray that you'd minister and that you would just demonstrate your presence in Jesus' name.
says that we walk by faith and not by sight. It's so easy to look at the circumstances, to look at what surrounds us and to get caught up by the circumstances and to just be caught up by the things that we see when we're been praying about things and we don't necessarily see the answer that we're looking for right away and we get caught up with the circumstances in the immediate but the Bible reminds us that we walk by faith and not by sight. It's not over yet. The story's not finished yet but we know how the story's going to end. We know, we know how it's going to end for the church. We know that it's a good end and we keep the faith we keep going we keep going we keep going we keep going we keep the faith we keep looking to Jesus the author and finisher of our faith he is the one who began and he is the one who will finish he is the one who will sustain us and take us through into his immediate presence into the glory of his presence Father we just thank you we thank you for our salvation we thank you that you live within us through your spirit and Father we just thank you that you give us a peace you give us joy. You give us hope. Father, that even despite the circumstances, we know that we have a hope and a future. Father, that it's all bound up in this person, this one incredible person called Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus this morning. We thank you for his sacrifice on that cross, that he died to save us from our sin. Father, your word says that the wages of sin is death the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you that you give us that gift of eternal life. All we need to do is put out our hands, figuratively speaking, Father, and just accept that gift by just praying to you and inviting you into our hearts. And Father, we, we just pray, Lord, that if there is anyone in here today or online, Father, who has never invited you in, that today would be the day that they would simply just say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me. Make me clean. Make me new. Give me a fresh start. Give me purpose. Give me peace. Give me hope. Give me the future that you have for me. Not just in this life, but in eternity as well. And Father, we just pray that you'd make this a reality in our hearts. Today and in this week that will come. And Father, in the days that lie ahead. Father, we pray, help us to grow closer to you in our daily walk with you. Father, as we build that relationship with you through, Father, just the things that we do to spend time with you, we pray that we would know more of who you are in our lives. And Father, we just pray today that you would just anoint your word as we read it, as we think about it, as we share from it. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Everybody doing okay? Just checking. I love the words of that song, the, the first one that we did. It was a new song, Breathe Miracles. Um, and I don't know about you, that's what I'm praying for often in the church. Often I pray that God breathes miracles into our situations. Um, uh, I'm just trying to find the words. Um, yeah, uh, over every broken heart, hope is rising through the dark. Over every weary soul, breathe miracles. Heaven come and hell retreat. Signs and wonders be released. King of the impossible, breathe miracles. I don't know about you. I believe in a God who can do impossible things. Do you? Okay, I'm not convinced. <laughs> um, I believe in a God who can do impossible things. And I'm believing in God for some impossible things. And we've seen God do some impossible things. Answers to prayer. 
and things which I would regard as miracles, but I'm looking for more of God all the time. Let me just do one thing. We need to do this whole photograph thing for track and trace. Uh, so just bear with me a little second. Um, just one or two things that I need to uh, share. Um, Monday, 9.30, we'll be meeting for prayer uh, on Zoom. And on Wednesday, we'll be meeting for prayer again on Zoom. And this will be the, the seventh of those sessions that we've been looking at, where we look at um, what is prophecy and all that kind of stuff. This session on Wednesday is the one that you don't want to miss because it's how to steward a prophetic word. When, when somebody gives you, when the prophet gives you a word from God, what do you do with that? How do you process that? And so this Wednesday night, we'll look at that, we'll have a bit of chat about that, and then we'll pray, uh, we'll pray uh, just over people in the church because there are people in the church who are needing uh, prayer. And after that, there'll be a short break of about four weeks uh, where prayer things will be off just during the summer. Everybody gets a little break. Everybody gets a little rest. I don't know about you. I'm needing a wee rest. Um, are you needing a rest? <laughs> some people are just some people are just back from holiday and looking very refreshed I have to say uh, so it's great great to have you back um, but we will take a little break over the summer um, and just to remind you that we'll be away um, for a number of weeks uh, so we'll have people helping out during uh, those times where we'll be off um, so Peter Hall will be coming to help Sam's will be speaking as well I don't know where Sam's has been there he's there <laughs> can I see you? Um, so, so we're looking forward to that and looking forward to uh, just hearing from different perspectives um, and, and what God wants to say to us. I'm going to read from First Thessalonians uh, chapter 3 in just a little minute. So if you want to look it up in your Bibles, um, I just need to change things around in my Bible here. I was reading Lamentations this morning, so that's where my my Bible's still up. Okay, First Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's just pray. Father, we pray that you'd help us to hear what your Spirit wants to say to us this morning. Lord, as we, as, as we just think about your Word, Father, as we think about what you want to say to us through it in, in the now moment, Lord, we pray that our hearts would be open to hear what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. So let's read First Thessalonians uh, chapter three. And this is Paul, Silas, and Timothy writing to the church in Thessalonica. And Paul is the one who's doing the main speaking. He says, so when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. I don't know if you remember that in Acts where Paul is the one who debates with the philosophers. Uh, so he's left alone in Athens. Everybody's off doing different things. And he says in verse 2, we sent Timothy, who is a brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that you would not be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. Verse 6, but Timothy has just now come back to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, 
brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For, you, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in you? Sorry, in, in the presence of our God because of you. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we might see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clearly uh, clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and the Father when our Lord Jesus comes with his holy ones. Amen. An incredible passage of scripture. And, and just to recap, uh, we, in our first message from this book of Thessalonians, give me a little second. I get distracted when I'm standing on that guitar lead. <laughs> it's like the princess and the pea. Um, we started off by thinking about the model church. Um, Paul is writing in First Thessalonians chapter 1 to the model church. That's how he describes it. Model church needs to have model Christians. If we're going to be a model church, we need to be model Christians. Who wants to be a model Christian? Me, I do. And then we thought in chapter 2 about model leadership and Paul being the model of leadership. It also encourages us to remember that if we have influence, then we are a leader in some way, shape, or form. That might be in our family, might be in our workplace. Regardless of where you are, you might not have a position or a title, but you can still be a leader. <clears throat> so we thought about model leadership. And this week, I want to think about mutual concern. You read through a passage of Scripture, and it's quite interesting having to preach from a book and going through chapter by chapter. You think, well, what am I going to speak on from this particular chapter? There are so many things. Sometimes it's about knowing what not to include. And I, I just, it was something I just saw in the scripture that I kind of thought was really, really important. It was this mutual concern. And when I'm talking about mutual concern, I'm talking about Paul's concern for the church. As we read in the scriptures there, and we'll put a verse up on the screen, Paul's concern for the church, but also the church's concern for Paul. We're talking about model leadership. Leadership can be a lonely place. If you're involved in leading something where you actually have responsibility for a program, a, a, a particular task or people, you will know that leadership can be a lonely place. And it's important that there is that mutual concern both for leader as the leader has for the people. And I'm saying that as a pastor in the church here, you know when people are concerned about you as the pastor because they ask you know I'm concerned about you because I ask. And when I send out a group email and say, how are you doing? That's meant to have a response back the way. So feel free to respond back uh, to those emails. But Paul is concerned about the, the well-being of these people in Thessalonica. And we see that this letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And I, I just have this picture of fellowship as I look at these guys working together in the gospel, and I see a, a picture of fellowship. And fellowship, that word, that Greek word koinonia, 
means intimate partnership or participation. It's when we're in something together. And for me, that's what I want to try and focus on today. Mutual concern, but we're in something together. I don't know about you. I don't know if you feel like that, but I, I kind of think it's something that we are in together. What are we participating in? What are we sharing in? What are we partnering in? I want to suggest that the thing that we're partnering in is spreading the good news about Jesus. We're partners in the gospel. Now, here's a situation where Paul, Silas, and Timothy, or at least Paul in this moment when he's writing, is separated from the church in Thessalonica. He wants to be with the church, but he can't be with the church. And so he sends Timothy as his delegate. And this is why. Let me just flick this scripture up on the screen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, it says, For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter may have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. Paul was wanting to get a picture of where they were at in their faith and their relationship with God. And so he sent Timothy. This is what it says in verse 6. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. I don't need to maybe say too much to know what it feels like over the last 16 months whether there has been that desire to see people and to be with people and to be working together with people, but we've been restricted. We've had all this stuff going on. And my, my question is, in all of this, has our faith remained strong? Are we established enough in our faith to stand the trials of life, to, to withstand the schemes of the devil and the disadvantages of distance? Is our faith strong enough? And that's a big question that we need to ask because we will not always have our mentors alongside us. We will not always have our teachers, our pastors, our leaders, the people that we speak to. We will not always have people alongside us. We will find ourselves in a situation where we will be alone and we will need to draw from within ourselves the resources, the faith that we have built, that we've been established in, and we'll need to stand on our own two feet. And that's been one of the big challenges of COVID-19 is that we need as Christians during some of those really, really difficult times to stand in our faith on our own two feet without the advantages of coming together as church. And we've not been able to do that. And these are the times when sometimes our faith can be tested. It's a long time. 16 months is a long time. It's also been challenging to notice people not engaging in fellowship. Let's call it Christian community. And here's the thing, all churches, from what I can hear, are going through the same things. I've been speaking to pastors and leaders all over the country. I've been listening to sessions that other people have been taking. And all churches are facing the same things. People not engaging in fellowship, not engaging in church. 
And I want to flick up something on the screen. Don't get too distracted by all the information on this slide. I just want to draw your attention to two things, okay? And the first one is this, that 20, this is a, a, a research done in the States just recently, and 22% of church adults have stopped going to in-person or digital church. 22%. The survey also asked practicing Christians about church attendance. Pre-pandemic, 79% said that they would attend weekly during, uh, they would attend church weekly. And during the pandemic, that dropped by 28% to only 51% of practicing Christians attending church in person or digitally every week. Wow. Only 50. And I'm thinking, is this just in the States that this is happening or, or does it happen here? From what I'm listening to, it's happening here as well in the UK. These last 16 months have had an incredible effect on the church and I think about Paul being separated from the church in Thessalonica, and he wants to know what's going on with them. He wants to know if their faith is standing strong, and there needs to be that two-way communication. So he sends Timothy to come back with this report that, yes, they're standing strong. I was blown away by those statistics. What's incredible is that of practicing Christians, 19% this is practicing Christians, 19% have not been to church at all. I don't know about you, that makes me feel really sad. That gets me upset when I think that people who profess to follow Jesus do not want to be part of church. We've been part of this church now for 30 years. And bar being sick or being on holiday, we've been here on a Sunday. Why? Because we're part of a family and we love this family and we want to be with this family every week, worshiping God together, serving God together. And if we're going to be a family, we need to be together. Now, Church is not a, about attendance. It's not all about attendance. It's not all about numbers. I think church is about association. It's about us being together, a desire for fellowship, to do life together, a desire to serve together. It's about engaging in the life and work of God together. But we need to come together to do that. That's been one of the big challenges over the last 16 months but some of the concerns I have about society in general, and it leaks its way into the church as well, is this whole thing about us becoming increasingly insular, increasingly individualistic, increasingly independent, all fueled by isolation. There are things which are happening in society which are creeping into the church. As a church family, we're supposed to be together. There should be a feeling of us being together, not just a fact, but a feeling of us being together. And I think when it comes to 
being individualistic and independent, the answer, the antidote, if you like, is what we found out when we were in Sunday school. Jesus first, yourself last, and others in the middle. Can you remember the tune? If you're old enough, you'll remember the tune. Jesus first, yourself last, and others in the middle. It's about recognizing that first and foremost, we serve him. Second, we need to look out for each other. And if we're looking out for each other, somebody will be looking out for us. And we don't need to worry about looking after ourselves. It's not so much about attending church, it's about being church. And by gathering to worship, pray, read from, and meditate on God's Word, share in communion, give of ourselves and our resources, serving others, and so on, that we're being church. By gathering, we are being church. And gathering is part of being. You know, sometimes you just want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. For those who are old enough to remember that American sitcom. It's not just about being in the same room. It's about us actually being together. You know, I, I have conversations with people in this church. And I'll say, did you hear about such and such? Do, do you know that person? And they go, I don't think I know who that is. Do you know, there's a theory that when you get to 150... Beyond 150 people, you don't necessarily know each other very well. But within 150, you should know everybody, at least to some degree. I think in the church, we should know everybody by name. And I was thinking about this. Is it just because I'm the pastor of the church that I know everybody by name? And I was thinking back to our early days in the church, and we actually knew everybody by name. And at that point in time, half of our church was gypsies and travelers, and we knew them by name, and we'd go up and fix their TVs and all sorts of stuff. We knew them by name. Let me tell you a little story, and this is a true story. And I read this in a book uh, just <clears throat> a couple of years ago. Two old ladies, <clears throat> excuse me, two old ladies worshiping together at Anglican Evensong. Good evening, Mrs. Jones. Cold for this time of year, isn't it? Mrs. Smith rubbed her hands together as she sat beside her friend. And Mrs. Jones answered as she moved slightly along the pew. Yes, it's chilly, isn't it? The conversation stopped. After all, church was church. And they both, both opened their prayer books. Dearly beloved brethren, the service ended. Well, good night then, Mrs. Smith. See you next week as usual. And it went on for 40 years until one day, Mrs. Jones didn't turn up. Mrs. Smith waited patiently, little knowing that her friend had died quite alone during the previous week. And the writer says, I discovered that the relationship of 2,000 Sundays had never progressed beyond the same old remarks. Maybe they knew God himself, but they certain, certainly didn't know each other. And surely that was an insult to true Christian fellowship. True story. Written in a book called Angels on the Walls. Gathering is part of being. But it's not just about being in the same room. It's about interdependence, interrelatedness, 
sharing, knowing and being known, doing life together, as they say. I don't know about you, I don't like that picture. I would much rather look at this picture. A true picture of friendship and fellowship and being together. Church should be a place of interrelatedness. We are not designed to be independent. Church is a body. We have people here from different churches today. And we're part of each other because we're all part of the body of Christ. Not just our little local congregation here. We are part of something far bigger. And I want to suggest that gathering is part of being. Think about this analogy. And I've heard this analogy preached about, and you've probably heard it as well. The analogy of the coal that falls out of the fire. Okay, that's a log fire. I was trying to find a picture of a coal fire. I'm sure I had one, but I didn't. So it's a log fire. So imagine the log falls out the fire. But imagine the coal falling out the fire and you think the coal can survive on its own. It's out of the fire, but it's still roasting hot. You can't pick it up and it's doing okay. But it's gradually cooling off, unnoticed at first. Unnoticed at first. And this is what happens in churches up and down the country, is that people begin to drift away from fellowship, and the effects of that are unnoticed at first, but eventually faith cools down. I said at the start, there'll come a point where we need to stand on our own two feet. We will not have people around about us, and we'll need to put our faith into practice. But God has designed us to live in fellowship. That's the church is God's idea. Jesus birthed the church. And he said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not come against it. And there's a sense in which your faith should be strong enough to stand on our own two feet, but God has designed us to live in fellowship so that we might mutually encourage one another. But there's a certain inevitability of about what we're talking about today, about the things that we're seeing in our world just now in relation to the church. Jesus said this to his disciples in Matthew 24, 12. There will be such an increase of sin and lawlessness that those whose hearts once burned with passion for God and others will grow cold. I don't know about you. I don't want my flame ever to go out. I want to remain on fire for God. And I know that I need my brothers and sisters round about me to help me to be the best me that I can be. And the Bible tells us that it's only going to get worse as we draw towards that day when Jesus returns. I was, as you're reading the New Testament, you just get this sense that they expect Jesus to come back at any moment. It's like we need to be ready. He's going to be coming back soon. And I think the church has lost the sense of urgency about the second coming of Jesus. He's coming back again, and he's coming back for his church. This body of Christ, of which he is the head. How can we be part of the body and at the same time not want to be part of of a local church. What does Paul say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5? Let's read it again. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid 
that in some way the tempter may have tempted you and our efforts may have been useless. You see, the thing is that the devil will pick off isolated Christians with far greater ease. There's a difference between solitude and isolation. I wholly endorse solitude. Time when you are alone with God, but not isolated as a Christian. If you isolate yourself as a Christian, you will make yourself a target. And although the word fellowship isn't actually used in this letter, it's clearly implied. We need fellowship. We're designed for fellowship. We're designed to live alongside each other. And if you're looking for a definition of fellowship, go into Acts chapter 2, verse 42 onwards. It's that partnership. It's that togetherness. It's that connectedness to one purpose, and it's to see the kingdom of God come. And we are established in our faith in the local church. Are you standing strong in your faith, established despite the difficulties that we're all facing? I want to suggest three ways. I was making sure I had the right amount of fingers. Uh, you can tell I'm tired today. Three ways. It's a spiritual pursuit. It's an intellectual pursuit. It's a practical pursuit, but it's never a trivial pursuit. I didn't expect that to be funny, but there you go. <laughs> Bonus. It's a spiritual pursuit. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to pray, which is about listening as much as it is about talking. Praying in silence sometimes. Because God understands the language of our heart and He knows. We need to meditate on God's Word. We need to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that we may prophesy, which is why we're looking at prophecy on a Wednesday night. But we also need to put the gifts into action. How do we do that? We do that by being together with other people. Sometimes it's in the church because they're there to build the church up, to encourage, to edify, but they can be put into practice in everyday life outside of the context of church. It's a spiritual pursuit. It's an intellectual pursuit. We need the Word of God. We can study the Word of God, but ultimately we need to allow the Word of God to study us little by little. For example, who could recite all the books of the Bible? Some people could. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And so it goes on, right? I learned that song as a kid. Learned the books of the Bible. But once we learn the Bible, we need to understand that the big themes of the Bible. What is it all about? It's not just an old historical book that we need to blow the dust off when we read it. It's a living word where God speaks to us. The Bible says that all Scripture is God-breathed. It's breathed by the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to understand these big themes. What is the, the macro picture, the overarching story of the Bible? And we can get down into the details and study words. I don't know about you, I like to study the words in the Bible. What, what do they mean? What does that Greek word actually mean? And how has it been translated in this particular translation? We can study it. We can, we can engage our brains. We can listen to the Word. We can read books. We can be engaged in listening to sermons, podcasts, lectures. We need to engage our brains, our intellect, to discuss the arguments that people have against the Bible as well. 
using our brains, our God-given gifts, talents, skills, and serving God. Don't you know that the people who are doing Bible translations sometimes actually have to write the language first? We are supporting people for the first time who are doing Bible translation, who are flying out this week to begin work in earnest on Bible translation. Sometimes people need to engage the intellect and actually say, well, what is your word for the creator God? The God who created the, 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 the heavens and the earth. You need to find a word to describe that God first. Sometimes people are using their intellect to actually write a language first so that people can get the Bible in their language. We need to engage our brains. It's also a practical pursuit because the Bible says that faith without works is dead. Through loving, through serving, through giving, through working, through witnessing. The question is, <laughs> do we have a mutual concern? Mutual concern for each other. Do we have a mutual concern for seeing God's kingdom come, for seeing the church being built and established? Do you know, as things begin to change with the pandemic, we're looking at what we're doing as church, where we serve, and have that intimate partnership in the gospel. But do you know, Here's the thing. It's now not as simple as starting back up from where we left off. 16 months is a long time. We're in a different place now. You're at a different place in your life. We're at a different place in leadership as the church and thinking about how does this all kick off again? We're at a different place. It's not going back to the way we did things. We can't just start things from where they left off because you've changed and we've changed and everything's changed. If you think about it, things have changed. And it's now about deciding what we'll do and how we'll do it. And in some cases, relaunching things from scratch. But what about you? Is your faith established? Can it survive if you're on your own? And sometimes in life, that's all we have left is faith. Sometimes that's all we've got left. We're standing on our own, on our own two feet, and all we've got left is faith. Franklin D. Roosevelt is quoted as saying, when you reach the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on. And my dad used to describe the knot in the end of the rope as faith. To quote Paul, as he's talking to the Corinthians, be on your guard, stand firm in your faith, be men of courage, be strong. Do everything in love. Be on your guard. Stand firm in your faith. Be men and women of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. We've got a really clear mandate as a church, haven't we? <laughs> love God. Love each other. Love the world in which we live. Bless and don't curse lesser enemies even. Let's just pray as we draw our time to a close today. Father, we pray for your church. We pray for every person who calls themselves a Christian. Father, we pray that you would draw us closer to yourself, closer to your heart. And Father, may we know your presence in such a deep way. Lord, gather your church together again. 
Father, as we look at how we serve you in the days that lie ahead, Father, as church begins to open up in different ways from the restrictions that we've experienced over the last 16 months, Father, we pray that you would speak really clearly to us, Lord, that we would hear your very clear direction leading and pushing us forward into the things which you have for us. And Father, I just pray over those who've maybe never come to that place of deciding yet, of inviting Jesus into their lives. Lord, I pray that this may be a great day for them to invite Jesus into your life. Just a prayer away. And maybe you've never done that. And I just want to pray a prayer. And if you've never invited Jesus into your life, pray this prayer. Just quietly into yourself, repeat it after me. And come and let us know that you've prayed it so that we can just chat with you and pray with you as well. Dear God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he died for me, to save me, to make me clean, to give me a fresh start in life. Help me to trust him. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Help me to live your way. In Jesus' name, amen. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you. Give you peace. And may you have a truly incredible week as you seek him and seek to serve him. The Lord bless you. Amen.